Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Here's how smart they're getting, ladies and gentlemen. Owners of a device designed to release food for pets say their animals were left hungry during a week-long, week-long system failure. PetNet allows owners to schedule and control feeding via a smartphone app. One pet owner tweeted, quote, my cat starved for over a week. Others complained about other hardware issues. This is from the BBC. PetNet has two Twitter accounts. The official one is not tweeted since August of last year. The support account issued four tweets between February 14th and 21st about the problems experienced. In its first tweet, it said a system outage was affecting devices, asked customers not to switch off their feed- feeder, even if it appeared to be on offline. Sorry, It said automatic feeds would still d- dispense. Four days later, it tweeted again to say it hoped to release more information soon. February 21st, it said smart feeders were returning online and a system reset was in progress. Some customers tweeting to the support account complained of not having received a response. That That's unheard of. U.S.-based firm PetNet has received $14.5 million in funding since it was founded in December 2012. Nearly 60% of the customer reviews left on the U.S. site, Amazon, have given the device a rating of either one or two stars. This is according to the BBC, if I didn't make that clear earlier. As we go towards a more automated home, you have to acknowledge that somewhere along the line, things will fall over. That's a quote from Stuart Miles, founder of the tech site Pocket Lint. Quote, he's still, still quoting him again. Robots and automated systems have hiccups along the way. It's something we need to get used to, unquote. Yes, sir. We'll get in line right over here. Hello. Welcome to the show. I got a feeling when I saw you 
my head was reeling and I wondered if you but then again this kind of feeling could make me blue California, the home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Eversall III. A lot of Olympic news this week, ladies and gentlemen. In a survey of nearly 500 elite athletes, athletes spread across 48 countries, many of them gearing up for the Olympics this year. An athlete's rights group found 58% said they didn't consider themselves financially stable. Even greater majority said they did not receive, quote, the appropriate amount of financial compensation from the International Olympic Committee or the National Federation to send them to the Games. 57% answered yes when asked if the IOC should pay athletes to attend its events. And they can just pay the rest of us to watch. The absence of a Summer Olympics would pose a unique challenge for many involved, according to Variety, show business Bible. The media business, particularly Comcast, which owns NBC, is counting on hundreds of hours of coverage of swimming, archery, and trampoline gymnastics Oh, boy. To lure millions of viewers to the screens in an era when many of them might prefer to stream a movie at times of their own choosing. 
Discovery Network is trying to be building up a European media business to diversify its operations, which are otherwise dependent on unscripted content. Madison Avenue is banking on the Olympics to help it gather together the kind of massive consumer audience that has proven tougher for TV to accumulate when so many other ways of watching video exist. One media-buying executive familiar with advertisers' negotiations around the Olympics said marketers have not, quote, formally, unquote, lodged large concerns yet, but suggested big agencies were waiting to see if NBC might offer any new guidance regarding ad deals if there's a problem with the Olympics. The IOC says preparations for the Olympic Games Tokyo continue as planned due to commercial sensitivities. The specific terms of each commercial agreement are confidential. We can say we have long-term multi-games agreements with our commercial partners and work closely with them regarding any situation which impacts the operation of the games, like coronavirus. Concussion substitutes could be tried out at this summer's Olympic Games, according to the president of the Soccer Federation FIFA, Gianni Infantino. Football's handling of head injuries is said to be looked at by the game's lawmaking body. Infantino agrees in principle with the idea of concussion substitutes, but believes there should be a a permanent solution like that if a concussion is diagnosed or suspected, not just temporary. He believes the games in Tokyo would be an ideal testing ground. This is a subject that needs to be discussed more and trialed as well. He said football was making a fool of itself over its response to concussion in comparison with other contact sports. But Infantino said it was important that the appropriate time was taken on such a serious matter as in everything you need to take decisions when you're comfortable about taking them. We need to do it seriously, professionally. We're responsible people. We don't have to take decisions on based on just a feeling. A trial. That's what the Olympics need. Because it's a movement. And we, whether it happens or not. And we all need one. Whether it happens or not. Every day. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've got the ultra modern neck. No getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty what the frack. You know, oil field wastewater, you, you've had that problem, haven't you? It's often being used for drilling and fracking operations now in places like Texas Permian Basin. This, according to the Houston Chronicle, is helping to preserve fresh water and to solve one of the fracking industry's most persistent problems, water. Millions of gallons of water are needed to bring into production a single well for horizontal drilling and fracking. The amount of wastewater brought back up from a well during its lifetime can be several Times as much. Dozens of millions of gallons of water. Oil companies are finding, though, that wastewater used instead of purchased freshwater or brackish groundwater used in the fracking operation, 
not only preserves a natural resource, but can improve production. Hey, more oil for your water. Some companies say they get better results with reused water, says uh, the CEO of a company called Source Water. It's the same water from the formation. You're basically taking something out of the ground and putting it right back where it came from. Well, when all else fails, try the obvious. The Permian Basin holds trillions of gallons of hypersaline water underground with the oil and the natural gas. As many as 5 to 10 barrels of salt water come out of the ground for every barrel of crude. In a pair of studies released this month, scientists with the University of Tex- Texas Texas, at Austin and three other universities, names not mentioned because it's the Houston Chronicle, studied how much wastewater eight major U.S. shale basins produced and then analyzed options for recycling and reusing that water. Those wells produced more than 160 billion gallons of wastewater in 2017. Why, that's enough to fill more than 242,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Except we're not having the... Oh, oh, yes, we are. Fracking operations in the lifetime of the Permian Basin will require, listen to this, 2.85 trillion gallons of water to produce stuff, oil and gas, and will produce an estimated 10.4 trillion gallons of wastewater. How does that happen? Volume. They yell. The wastewater contains hydrocarbons, chemicals, salts, and sometimes even radioactive contaminants, so it's too expensive to clean that water for agriculture or drinking purposes, or even toilet, I guess. Most oil-filled wastewater ends up being injected deep underground at sites known as saltwater disposal wells. That sometimes produces earthquakes. Researchers have determined now that reusing the water for hydraulic fracking is the most cost-effective and sustainable option for the industry. Recycled water will almost entirely replace the use of groundwater soon, within five years, says one of the researchers. That's about the time it'll take for everybody to get used to the practice. But even if that happens, the industry will still need salt water disposal sites because of the sheer volume of wastewater produced in uh, places like the Permian Basin. So you can reuse all you want. There'll still be more. That just has to be shot back into the earth. What the frack? Now news of the godly. The godliness cam starts today pointed at Buffalo, New York. Survivors of sexual abuse by priests in the Diocese of Buffalo, well, they reacted with outrage and despair this week to news that on Monday, Interim Bishop Edward Scharfenberger celebrated Mass with multiple priests the diocese admits are credibly accused of child sexual abuse. Talk about a celebration. Scharfenberger invited priests of the diocese to Mass and lunch at St. Leo the Great in Amherst. At the Mass, dozens of priests dressed in robes and concelebrated or shared the Mass and Eucharist with the Reverend Fabian Mariansky. He had been accused of abusing Stephanie McIntyre decades ago at a parish in Barker, New York. 
He denied the allegations, but last year the diocese included both Mariansky and the Reverend Mark Wolski on its official list of priests with, substanti- with substantiated allegations of child sexual abuse. Diocese leaders previously said the priests' cases would go to the Vatican, which makes the final decision on fr- defrocking pedophile priests. A priest who t- attended the Mass on mon- uh, Monday says both men, Mariansky and Wolski, were present. Wolski said the prayer before the catered lunch. In 2018, a man said Wolski abused him from 1968 to 1970s when he was between 15 and 17 years old. Scharfenberger, in a written statement, said the gathering was, quote, a private mass, not open to the public, adding, I deeply regret that this decision to gather privately in prayer and penance opened the door to yet another wound for those harmed. Also present at the mass was the Reverend Art Smith, who's been accused of sexually abusing multiple children, he denies the claims, as well as allegedly assaulting Father Rizard Biernat, while Biernat was a seminarian. He, Biernat, said Smith approached him at the priest luncheon and began making bizarre comments. Quote, he asked if there could be mediation between me and him because he never wanted to hurt me. He just wanted to show me how much he loved me and how much he cared for me, Biernat wrote on Facebook. Well, that's where all of this belongs, isn't it? Quote, he said he still loves me and it is all misunderstanding. I said to him, there's no misunderstanding. If you go into somebody's bed and climb under the sheets and grab their genitals and kiss their neck, there's no misunderstanding there, unquote. And, <laughs> in case in case that lunch wasn't uh, tempting enough for you, the Legion of Christ Religious Order is promising accountability and transparency following damaging new revelations of sex abuse and cover-up Those allegations have undermined its credibility a decade after revelations of its pedophile founder disgraced the order. Legion vowed to investigate the confirmed cases of past abuse by 33 priests and 71 seminarians. They're learning. The Mexico-based order said it would reach out to the victims, publish the names of those found guilty of abuse in either a church or a state court. Let's keep church and state court separate and punish superiors responsible for, quote, gross negligence, unquote, in the handling of abuse accusations. This is uh, responding to a burgeoning new scandal involving the order. The Vatican took over the Legion ten years ago after revelations its late founder, the Reverend Marcial Maciel, raped his seminarians, fathered at least three children, and bit, built a secretive cult-like order to hide his double life. Folks, it's on you. Recent revelations have shown the Legion's abuse problem went far beyond Maciel. Newly public cases, according to the Associated Press, exposed generational chains of abuse and high-level cover-up by superiors who were still in power. The cases indicated the Vatican envoy who was tasked with reforming and purifying the order was part of the cover-up. Can't really do a lot of purifying that way. In a statement... The Legion officially retracted the years-long campaign it mounted to defame and discredit the original group of men who went public in the 1990s to accuse Maciel. The Legion begged their forgiveness and admitted it hadn't made reparations to them all. But the Legion statement included no specific promises to compensate the original victims or any other abuse survivors, saying only it's prepared to pay for necessary therapy. As a result, former legionnaires and victims dismissed the measures as mere damage control. 
The Legion did make reparation pledges in the past, didn't follow through on them. The Order also vowed to change course, but Maciel's old guard remains in power. Raising the question, can an old guard learn new tricks? News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. I am not such a clever one about the latest facts. I admit I was never one adored by local lads. Not that I ever try to be a saint. I'm the type that they classify as quaint I'm old-fashioned I love the moonlight I love the old-fashioned things The sound of Upon a window pane, the starry song that April sings. This year's fancies are passing fancies, but sighing sighs, holding hands. My heart understands I'm I'm old-fashioned But I don't mind it That's how I want to be As long as you agree To stay old-fashioned with me And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. 
Meet her. I didn't even know her. Deadline Tokyo, the world's nuclear watchdog, gave its backing this week to Japanese plans to release contaminated water from the Fuke plant into the, into the ocean. What could be wrong with that? Japan has around a million tons of contaminated water stored in tanks at the site of the Fuke plant. You remember, those reactors went into meltdown in 2011. A government panel last month recommended the water be released into the ocean or vaporized. How do you do that? Oh, we know. we That's a thing. But no final decision has been taken with all solutions deeply unpopular with sections of the Japanese public, according to Courthouse News. IAEA Director Rafael Grossi told journalists in Tokyo the panel's recommendations appeared suitable. Of course, the decision on what to do and when is a matter for the Japanese government. He says, our final analysis is not completed, but I can tell you already we find the panel report based on a sound methodology and a systematic approach. He described the two options proposed as in line with well-established practices all around the world. Releasing into the ocean is done elsewhere. It's not something new. There is no scandal here, he said. But what is important is to do it in a way that is not harmful, and you need somebody to monitor before, during, and after release to check that everything is okay, unquote. Radioactive water comes from several different sources, including water used for cooling at the plant and groundwater, and rain that seeps into the plant daily and is put through an extensive filtration process. That process is extensive but not complete. Most of the radioactive isotopes have been removed by the filtration system, but tritium, which has a long half-life, it sticks around longer than Elvis, remains. The issue is controversial with some of Japan's neighbors raising questions about the safety of releasing the water. Locals, including fishermen, are concerned about the reputational risks of any release. Grossi said a very comprehensive communication strategy would be key to the process, i.e. PR will win the battle for us. Companies responsible for cleaning up the decommissioned plutonium plant at Hanford in Washington State Well, they failed to conduct comprehensive safety checks at facilities containing nuclear waste, is all. After a 2017 tunnel collapse put surrounding communities on lockdown. That's the report from government auditors this week. The report about the Hanford nuclear waste site raises new concerns, as if we needed new ones, about environmental and safety risks posed by one of the U.S.'s worst toxic waste sites, according to the Washington Post. The Government Accountability Office found that the Energy Department waived a root cause analysis of the tunnel collapse because it was asked to do so by the contractor handling inspections. A subsidiary of Dallas-based Jacobs Engineering, the department did conduct a separate review to determine weaknesses and risks related to contaminated facilities, but that evaluation, quote, was based largely on old data and did not include any physical or non-physical inspection to flag facilities for cleanup, according to the inspector, oh, sorry, the Government Accountability Office. They're kind of like Congress's inspector general, you see. 
parts of the site have not been entered or inspected in more than 50 years, the GAO reported, suggesting there could be additional safety risks of which the Energy Department is not aware. The inspections that were carried out found structural problems severe enough that, quote, they could lead to the potential release of hazardous or nuclear materials, unquote, at five of 18 facilities there. The director of the Accountability Office's Natural Resources and Environmental Team said the Energy Department needs a better approach to handling safety inspections at Hanford. Like an approach. That would be a better approach. An approach. Deadline Cortland, New York, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, failed to properly analyze the safety impact of the expansion of the Algonquin National, sorry, Natural Gas Pipeline near the Indian Point Energy Center as part of the process for the pipeline's approval by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. That's the report from its own Inspector General, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's Inspector General. In 2015, NRC said they analyzed the impact of a pipeline rupture, including the jet flame, cloud fire, vapor cloud explosion, and unconfined explosion that would result. They concluded that the Indian Point Energy Center could be safely shut down if a pipeline accident occurred, and the Energy Regulatory Commission relied on that conclusion in its finding that a larger pipeline would not increase safety problems at the plant. An engineer with the pipeline's opponents petitioned the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, saying the company and the agency made false statements in their reports and used scientifically flawed analysis to reach their conclusions. It turned out he was right, and that's according to the NRC Inspector General's office in a report issued a couple of weeks ago. Reports said the NRC's inspection report contained inaccuracies, suggesting additional analysis had been conducted. When... This was not the case. NRC's underlying independent analysis was conducted using a computer program that NOAA said it was not designed for. NOAA developed the program. The NRC reported its results based on flawed data into the model and tweaked outcomes. If you can tweak outcomes, you own the deal. Listen, here's the deal. Come on, man. Leg hair. But in case that's not enough lying for you, two contract workers at the V.C. Summer Atomic Power Plant in South Carolina falsified records last year to show that they were making fire safety checks, even though they hadn't done so. That's according to the Federal Nuclear Oversight Agency. In a letter Last month, to the plant owner Dominion Energy, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission said the utility violated federal rules by failing to ensure fire safety checks were done as required. Dominion didn't respond to journalists' questions about whether the two contract employees still worked at the power plant, but a federal official said they didn't get the job done. They provided inaccurate information, said the NRC spokesperson. An inspection report accompanying the agency's letter says federal inspectors found problems with records used to document that workers had made fire safety checks inside a building. Workers were supposed to conduct regular fire watch checks every 20 minutes while fire suppression systems were shut down for repairs. But they didn't do that. But it's all good because it's clean, cheap, safe 
too safe to meet her. Our, it's our friend, the Adam. He's not going to hurt us. And now, speaking of how safe we are, news of the warm. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Well, Antarctica is melting this week because of the rise in Earth's temperature. And if temperatures rise by two degrees Celsius, the regions of the world that are suitable for growing wine grapes could shrink by as much as 56%, according to a new study. With four degrees of warming, 85% of wine-growing lands would no longer be able to produce good wines. But you know, that bad wine isn't so bad. Fortunately for wine lovers, the new study outlines an adaptation strategy, the findings indicate. Reshuffling where certain grape varieties are grown could have the potential losses of wine-growing regions under two, two degrees of warming and reduce losses by a third if warming reaches four degrees. The study is published in uh, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Well, at least their proceeding. Scientists have long suspected that crop diversity is key to making agriculture more resilient to climate change. Wine grapes offer a, a unique opportunity to test this assumption. They're both extremely diverse. There are more than 1,100 different varieties planted today, growing under a wide range of conditions. And well-documented, harvest data stretches back centuries. Wine grapes are also extremely sensitive to the changes in temperature and season that come with climate change. In some ways, wine is like the canary in the coal mine for climate change impacts on agriculture because these grapes are so sensitive, said co-author of the research. They investigated whether utilizing this wide diversity of wine grapes could help build resiliency. Isn't that what we all want? Their findings may help other areas of agriculture adapt to a warming world. The researchers focused on 11 varieties of wine grapes based on their diversity in development timing. That is a key trait for climate adaptation. So, everything else may be going pear-shaped, but we may still have wine. And now, I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Microplastic pollution in the world's oceans is a growing problem. Most studies of the issue have focused on land-based sources, such as discarded plastic bags or water bottles. Now researchers reporting in the American Chemical Society's Environmental Science and Technology have linked microplastics in China's Beibu Gulf with heavy fishing activities. Surprisingly, many of the particles were hidden in deep sediments on the ocean floor, which could have led scientists to underestimate the extent of the contamination. Fishing gear, such as nets, ropes, and pots, is a, is a potential sea-based source of microplastic. The tiny particles could be worn away from fishing gear during use, or they might arise when the gear is lost or discarded in the ocean. Ying Hu Wang and colleagues wanted to measure microplastics in surface sediment samples from different types 
sites in Beibu Gulf, a traditional fishing ground of China, and the Chinese Indo Peninsula that lacks substantial industrialization and urbanization. They also wanted to look for this type of contamination in deep sediments up to two feet below the surface, which have not been well studied with respect to the microplastics thing. They collected sediment samples, almost 50, almost 60 of them, from the Gulf Beibu and adjacent rivers a couple of years ago. Microplastics were separated from sediment samples and counted under a microscope. Most of the particles were made of polypropylene or polyethylene, materials widely used in fishing nets and rope. The team found a strong correlation between the intensity of fishing activities and the abundance of these fibers. Unexpectedly, microplastics were detected even one foot below the surface, which corresponds to about the year 2013, sorry, 1913, before the observed plastics were invented. The particles could have been transported to deep sediment laters by marine worms, because most previous studies have considered only microplastics in surface sediment. This type of pollution in ocean sediments worldwide could be greatly underestimated, according to the researchers. One word, ladies and gentlemen, microplastics. Now, with the um, world's focus on the coronavirus and its uh, spread among many of the countries in the so-called civilized world, we, or that is to say, you may have missed the news that uh, Saturday represented the end of a eight-day period of ceasefire between the United States and the Taliban, an agreement worked out last week by the longtime U.S. diplomat in charge of making something, making some sense out of the Afghan thing, Zalmay Khalid, Khalilzad. And that meant that yesterday, Saturday, the United States and the Taliban signed an agreement. This is a follow-on on eight days of ceasefire an agreement that would lead, potentially, to a withdrawal of United States troops from Afghanistan and the turning over of the government to some kind of combination between the Taliban and the existing Afghanistan political structure led by the newly elected, this election took eight, four, six months to uh, get actual figures on the results, but the newly elected president, who is the old president, Ashraf Ghani, again linked to, for electoral purposes, his chief rival, Abdullah Abdullah, again his vice president. So there is a, a new government in Afghanistan, just as the United States has concluded this agreement with the Taliban, a series of negotiations from which the Afghan government, headed by the newly re-elected Ashraf Ghani, that government has been excluded. They were never allowed in the talks because the Taliban refused to talk to them, saying they were puppets of the U.S. They'd rather just talk to the puppeteer. So there may well be the president of the, <laughs> the president of the United States has already hailed it as the end of an endless war, announcing that we are starting our withdrawal of American troops, like now, 
It, of course, has long been the policy of the United States government in public proclamations to abjure ever talking or negotiating with terrorists. But here we are signing a deal with the Taliban. That's how it looks from here. Let's look at it from over there. From Afghanistan Public Radio, our tote bags are now guaranteed to have no major holes. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, where the nightlife is like the daylife, only darker. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're Slick and Slack, the here-to-stay brothers. Welcome to another edition of Karzai Talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Afghan Library Foundation. Help us found a library. <laughs> well, my younger brother, yes. this is indeed a historic day in the life of our beloved homeland. Yes, the electricity in my Toyota dealership stayed on throughout an entire transaction. <laughs> uh, but yes, my younger brother, mm. I'm sure you're referring to the signing of a final peace deal for Afghanistan. I am indeed, and hoping that it's more final than the final results of our last election. <laughs> <laughs> are they in yet? <laughs> yes, they are, and our congratulations to President Hani for again being President Hani. <laughs> but uh, slow counting of election results is the only category of anything where our country is ahead of Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on Karzai Talk. Hello, this is Ashraf Ghani, second time president, first time caller. Uh, president Ghani, I know I speak for my brother when I say hello. No, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I, I know there's been uh, some less than uh, unstrained relations between Hamid and myself, mm. but with our new election finally decided, I think it's worthwhile to spend a few months remaining in my term reaching out to everyone to rebuild a sense of national unity as we embark down the rocky paths of peace. Mm. Sounds impressive. The scary thing is he's not reading. He really talks like that. (laughs) 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 I I assume, uh, Colin, Mm -hmm. that you've also been uh, reaching out to some of the bloody-minded warlords you've brought into your government? Uh, This is a moment in time when we stop looking at the past and focus on the future. I am reading that. The Americans wrote it for me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, can we assume, Mr. President, Mm -hmm. that as the detailed peace negotiations now start up, that you will actually be invited to those talks? Oh, Mahmoud, our caller would, I'm sure, prefer to shelter in place, or as we call it now, (laughs) (laughs) self-quarantine. I I did have a question, by the way, on this subject. Oh, ask away. That's the format talking, not me. When you're in, in negotiations mm-hmm. uh, and the Americans are in the room, mm-hmm. uh, do you open up taking a strong line or do you try to lull them with cooperation and then stand up for your country just before it's time for the signatures? Wow, I'm impressed. He really thinks you know something. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Ashrar, our Taliban friends have a simple strategy. Get back into power and start making some real money. (laughs) The Americans, it's more complex. Mm -hmm. Some of them really wanted to help a poor Asian nation wracked by the war. Well... But those were the janitors. <laughs> <laughs> if you're asking me, and I think the tape will prove that you were, mm-hmm. 
I say you can either see yourself as the odd man out between two warring sides trying to untangle, or you can see yourself as the essential middleman making this slapdash agreement work out. Or, like my brother, you can see yourself as the brand ambassador for green robes. (laughs) 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 Thanks for the call. It's amazing to me. There's still bad blood between you two. It's amazing to me there's any blood at all. (laughs) (laughs) Why did we laugh? That wasn't funny. Again, that's the format talking. Hello, you're on Cars I Talk. Hi, guys. I'm Jim Taliban, first-time call center chief customer experience officer and first-time caller. A couple of firsts there. Taliban, that's a... You unusual surname for an American. Oh, I'm not an American. I'm from Helmand Province. I, I took that surname to honor the brothers who've been training me these last couple of years. And and your first name is Jim? Well, that's just to relate better to the Americans whose calls we handle at the call center. Mm. At home, I'm plain old Salman Hakim. Uh, are you saying the Taliban trained you to work at a call center? And are you saying there actually is a call center in in this country, that would be such a step up. I'm going to take your questions in order, guys. Uh, Mahmoud, mm-hmm. if you are physically unable to be an actual fighter, they train you for a future role in the new Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hami, uh-huh. um, the, the center doesn't open for business until the peace deal goes into effect. Otherwise, the insurance would be killing us. And I think we all feel like there's been enough killing. Uh, so are you looking forward to life in a peaceful Afghanistan? I'll tell you what I'm really looking forward to, the start of baseball season. Got a good feeling about the Dodgers this year. Well, they are training you well to talk to Americans. You got that right. Uh, after a while, you almost get used to it. Almost like peace itself. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost too deep to laugh at. It was almost too deep to say. <laughs> Thanks for the call. We had help today from the Afghan Bar Association. Don't hate us, we just own bars. Legal services for cars I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Nukem. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. Join us next time and hear how different peace sounds on Cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. Now, ladies and gentlemen, about the apologies of the week. What do you think? Chris Matthews, he of MSNBC fame, issued an unusual apology to Senator Bernie Sanders this week, a moment of humility for the veteran hardball anchor after days of mounting criticism from allies of Sanders. Matthews, who has a reputation, according to the New York Times, for pugnacious commentary, drew fire from Sanders' aides and at least one network colleague after he compared Sanders' victory in the Nevada caucuses to the Nazi takeover of France in World War II. Quote, the general calls up Churchill and says it's over, Matthews said, as he tried to describe Democrats' surprise at Sanders' command of the party primary. Churchill says... How can it be? You got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. Unquote Chris Matthews. Sanders was so upset, his top aides, including his campaign manager, privately expressed their displeasure to MSNBC officials. Never thought part of my job would be pleading with a national news network to stop likening the campaign of a Jewish presidential candidate whose family was wiped out by the Nazis to the Third Reich. 
That was the quote from his communications director. MSNBC did not respond to the uproar until Monday when Matthews began his hardball program by telling viewers, I want to say something quite important and personal. Senator Sanders, Sanders, I'm sorry for comparing anything from that tragic era in which so many suffered, especially the Jewish people, to an electoral result of which you were the well-deserved winner, he said into the camera. This is going to be a hard-fought, heated campaign of ideas. In the days and weeks and months ahead, I will strive to do a better job myself of elevating the political discussion. Matthews said as he congratulated Sanders on his victory in Nevada. Opera star Placido Domingo is not so Placido these days. He amended his apology to the multiple women who have accused him of sexual misconduct, adding several caveats late in the week to a statement he issued two days earlier in which he said he took full responsibility for his actions. In a statement on his Facebook page, yeah, this belongs on Facebook, which was posted as several European concert halls moved to cancel his appearances, the legendary tenor said he wanted to correct the false impression generated by my apology. My apology was sincere and heartfelt to any colleague who I have made to feel uncomfortable or hurt in any manner by anything I have said or done, he wrote. But I know what I have not done, and I'll deny it again. I've never behaved aggressively toward anyone, and I've never done anything to obstruct or hurt anyone's career, unquote his Thursday comment. On Tuesday, he had said he respected the women who came forward and, quote, I want them to know that I am truly sorry for the hurt that I caused them. I accept full responsibility for my actions, and I have grown from this experience, unquote. His spokeswoman, Nancy Seltzer, offered no immediate comment when asked to how to reconcile the two statements. Two of his accusers, opera singers Patricia Wolfe and Angela Turner-Wilson, called the reversal of his apology, quote, extremely insulting. Quote, the world knows he's guilty of his predatory behavior, and yet he continues to deny that he groped and propositioned us and retaliated against us when we rejected his advances, said Wolfe and Wilson in a joint statement issued by their attorney. Google's Nest home security cameras experienced a 17-hour outage this week, leaving customers without video streaming access, oh no, or recording capabilities within their homes, according to The Verge. Customers using Nest Cam, Nest Cam IQ, Nest Hello Doorbell, and the Nest Hub Max lost connection at about 12 p.m., that's noon on Monday, due to a malfunction that occurred during a planned update of the server's sabotage, sorry, storage software. The error prevented customers from recording video or viewing their camera's live stream. Users' footage from live video streams, video history clips, and sightline time lapses were also inaccessible. Some users thought the issue was on their end, tried to reset the product, which resulted in confusion. Nest posted intermittent updates about the issue, but Nest users who count on the technology for home security and safety responded to the updates from Google with frustration. Google apologized to affected Nest users in a blog post. You depend on Nest cameras to keep an eye on your home and the people in it, so of course it's frustrating when you can't said the VP of Product and General Manager of Nest. For that, please accept my apology. The post also said Google was investigating the outage to ensure the problem wouldn't happen again. 
but Google declined to comment further about the issue. But if that problem won't happen again, some other one will. Because, you know, we have to get used to that, according to the guy in the previous thing. Adam Levine is apologizing after a controversial performance. The Maroon 5 frontman garnered backlash after his band's performance at the Vina del Mar Festival in Chile. Fans complained his bad attitude robbed them, or sorry, rubbed them the wrong way. It robbed them the right way, but it rubbed them the wrong way. Levine took to his Instagram to apologize for his behavior during the live concert, which was also broadcast on Chilean TV. I'm so excited and passionate about concerts and about being my best and the band being our best and being our best for you guys, he said. There were some things holding me back sonically last night, and I let them get to me, and it impacted how I was behaving on stage, which was unprofessional, and I apologize for that. Unquote. The band experienced technical difficulties, according to USA Today, including issues with the monitor as well as the in-ear monitors Levine used to hear himself sing. He said his negative attitude was due to frustration with how he sounded. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been there. Deadline Manhattan precluding a trial on massive tax dodges unearthed in the Panama Papers leak. An accountant implicated in the scheme pled guilty on Friday. Richard Gaffey, 75 years old, had been one of four men arrested after the exposure of 11.5 million files from the Panamanian law firm that implicated leaders and luminators in illegal asset shuffling. Tom? Illegal asset shuffling. Mm-hmm. I apologize to the government and the court for my actions, Gaffey told the judge Richard Berman, admitting to eight criminal charges. His prosecution began with groundbreaking investigative reporting in 2015 after the German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung partnered with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists to report on how the rich stashed their wealth. Embarrassing world leaders like Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, the Panama Papers also turned up the heat on the law firm Mossack Fonseca, its clients, and its associates. Uh, Gaffey opens himself up to a possible 67-year sentence. Boy, think how lucky you are, Roger Stone. His plea deal calculates his guidelines at roughly eight to nine years of imprisonment. A week before Oklahoma, Oklahoma Democrats vote in their presidential primary, Senator Elizabeth Warren is facing new criticism from Cherokees and members of other tribes for her past claims of Native American American heritage. A letter signed by more than 200 tribal members says the claims normalized white people claiming to be Native and perpetuated a dangerous misunderstanding of tribal sovereignty. The letter was sent to Warren on Tuesday. She said she understood in this 12-page letter Quote, that the confusion my actions propagated around tribal sovereignty and citizenship caused real harm to Native people and communities. I was wrong to have identified as a Native American, and without qualification or excuse, I apologized for the harm I caused. At Shadur, as carnival celebrations occupied streets around the world this week, a Spanish parade troupe featured Nazis dancing with guns, scantily clad concentration camp inmates, and a float with two crematorium chimneys. The display was met with indignation from European politicians, 
Jewish rights groups, and other observers who called it a disgusting symbol and an insult to the six million Jews who were killed in the Holocaust. The widespread backlash, a backlash would be widespread too, possibly, forced the El Chaparral Cultural Association, a carnival troop from the nearby town of Las Meses, to quickly apologize for creating the display. The organization said it intended to promote a message of consideration and respect, but it would cancel its attendance at coming parades in light of the controversy. And officials in California say the Church of Scientology is apologizing after releasing hundreds of balloons during a grand opening of a new church. The release of the helium balloons angered Ventura city officials who fear the balloons will damage the environment in and around the community. Remnants of the balloons typically wash ashore or fall to the ground and can end up in the stomachs of marine life and animals. The church apologized Monday during a city council meeting in Ventura. There were misunderstandings on both sides about the city's written approval of a special events permit that allowed the release of biodegradable balloons at the church's grand opening, said the Scientology spokesperson. The city disagrees. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this 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 right here, this particular week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time over these same stations in the radio world and in the audio device of your choice world whenever you want it. And it would be just like coronavirus being like the common cold. I love Rush Limbaugh. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk as well as Pam Halstead and Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help. Hip! They help me with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for those all-important St. Patrick's Day presents. And the playlist of the show itself, all at harryshare.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Shear. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>